Hi, this is Damien O'Darty with Center Maryland's The Conference Call. I couldn't be more excited to bring to you, uh, all of our listeners, somebody who's been at the center of uh, Maryland's public life and our public life in Washington for as long as I can remember. He's our junior senator from uh, the state of Maryland. Senator Chris Van Hollen, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on the Conference Call pod. Damien, it's great to be with you, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Congrats on launching this uh, show, uh, and it, it keeps us all um, going during this pandemic. Well, look, as a, uh, as a native Baltimorean, I want to just start by thanking you on two accounts. One, you were the only elected official brave enough to wear a Keep Preakness in Baltimore button right into the ownership there at Pimlico last year. And uh, everybody worked to save the Preakness. So just can't thank you enough for your support there. And then again, uh, save our son, all of the help that you have given the journalists uh, and the hope that you've given to journalists, not just in Baltimore, but all the Tribune papers. So I'd like to thank you and, and Senator Cardin and uh, Brooke Learman in the State House and so many others for uh, being at the center of, of trying to, to save American journalism any way you can. I think uh, with Mr. Bainham and, and some others now entering the fray, we may be in good shape. Well, that's right. And first on the Preakness, um, yeah, I, I know it was a little bit in your face, but I was proud to wear that button uh, into the owner's uh, booth at Preakness and glad everything is uh, at least seems to be working out. Um, you, you know, it's such an important uh, treasure uh, for Baltimore City. And uh, it's it's really important that uh, we keep it as part of the Baltimore tradition. And as for the Baltimore Sun, same thing. I mean, we need to make sure that it's got, you know, some local ownership. People have a local stake uh, in the success of uh, the Baltimore Sun. It's been a great American newspaper. It's obviously uh, experienced tough times, um, you know, over the last uh many years, uh, but uh, we need somebody who, uh, somebody owning the sun who is invested in our, in our region and not some um, hedge fund owners who don't give a damn about Baltimore. Listen, the big news uh, from Washington is, I keep thinking of that Bare Naked Lady song, if I had one trillion dollars, or if I had a couple trillion dollars, what would I do to save America? Talk to me a little bit about uh, this incredible effort that you have led in the Senate uh, with so many other incredible figures about getting this country back, back on track after a, a really torturous four years. I don't care what side of the politics you were on. I think we can all agree the last four years were torturous. So talk to us about how you're bringing us out of that situation. Well, this is going to be a huge boost uh, to our economy, and it, it does three things. First of all, it's going to help us finally defeat uh, the pandemic uh, with an infusion of funds uh, to make sure we have enough vaccine and that we uh, get it into people's arms as soon as possible. It's going to help those who have been hit hardest economically um, from the economic fallout from the pandemic. And then it should give us a big boost as we see the light at the end of the tunnel here we want to make sure we emerge strong, that our economy uh, can pick up quickly. You know, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said that if we did nothing more um, this year, uh, that uh, we'd be living with, with much higher levels of unemployment into the year 2025. Uh, and now Secretary Yellen, the new Secretary of Treasury, just told 
uh, committee. I serve on the, the banking and housing committee that we expect to be back at full employment a year from this summer. Uh, so that's a lot better than high levels of unemployment until 2025. And uh, look, I think everyone's um, looking forward to um, breaking out of this uh, pandemic. Um, we obviously need to get vaccinated. Everyone needs to make sure that, uh, you know, we continue to listen to the health officials, but light is, we see light at the end of the tunnel. You know, Maryland is so dependent uh, culturally and economically on the way local, state, and federal governments interact with one another. And I just wondered what you think the take-home or the delivery is for the Maryland resident, uh, because I know you backstopped a lot of local and state spending. There's a child tax credit. Talk to me about what this means for the Marylander. Yeah, this is big uh, for Maryland, and there are really three buckets. First, there's the funds that are going to come directly to, you know, workers, families uh, to provide support, and that includes the child tax credit you just mentioned. Uh, this is a historic increase in the child tax credit, $3,000 per child, $3,600 for children under six. Uh, it will mean that 82,000 uh, Maryland kids escape poverty uh, this year. And our, our goal is to make this permanent uh, because it would then cut child poverty in the United States in half. Um, obviously, we need to get it down to zero, but that would that's a big step forward. It that's, a big piece, that's a big piece I, I'm hearing in sort of the secondary tertiary market of news around this deal is that there is a claim that this that this piece of legislation itself is going to have a huge impact on childhood poverty. It's, it's hard to imagine that we can do that. And it's even harder to imagine that if we can do it, why didn't we do it, you know, four years ago or three years ago or 20 years ago? Well, that's a good question. Uh, some of us, including myself, have been pushing for this legislation for, for years because it would um, have such a dramatic, um, you know, positive impact. Uh, but I'm glad we got it in here in the American Rescue Plan. As I said, Damien, though, the challenge is going to be making sure we make this permanent uh, because, you know, what we, what we want, this is not a question of making a one-year dent in child poverty. We got we to gotta make sure we do this on a sustainable basis. Um, then there are the individual payments. Uh, there are funds in here to help people uh, stay in their homes um, and, and pay the rent and, and escape eviction. Uh, so there are a whole set of funds that help uh, individuals and workers, including the extension of the unemployment uh, benefits um, at $300 more per week until September. Then there's help for small businesses. There help for a lot of venues that have been especially hard hit, like restaurants. And then there's what you mentioned, which is substantial help uh, coming to the state government, the county governments, and every municipal government in the state of Maryland. And it's just to give you an idea of the scope of this, it's uh, close to $4 billion for the state of Maryland. It's over a billion dollars collectively uh, to uh, the counties in Baltimore City. Uh, Baltimore City itself will get uh, over $650 million in much needed help. Um, and then uh, all the towns and cities around the state that have been hard hit will get funds both to help them uh, you know, meet the needs of the pandemic, but also uh, to help, you know, get back on their feet and, and make sure we can, we can grow um, as a, as a community and as a, as a state in terms of our economy. 
It's interesting to see so many of the types of investments that you have been arguing for since I've known you since 1998 or so. And you've always been on the front lines for education and child welfare, whether it's back to the Thornton legislation uh, ages ago that, that was a game changer for Baltimore and Maryland schools. Uh, it must be interesting to see all of these long-term policy solutions that you've been advocating for ages are now the hot front burner issues that everybody is considering. Yeah, I'm glad to see it. You know, Maryland has been at the forefront of a lot of these efforts um, over the years. You mentioned the Thornton Commission legislation, uh, which was a game changer, but but needs a big boost. And that's the whole purpose of the Kerwin uh, commission legislation, and I'm glad to see the, the General Assembly um, move forward with that. Um, and and now, you know, the federal government uh, under the Biden administration is is beginning to uh, adopt similar uh, approaches, recognizing that you know if we want to address some of these huge issues uh, in our country of uh, wealth and income inequality, giving every giving every kid a, a, a good shot at a good education. Uh, we've got to make these uh, investments. So in addition to the American Rescue Plan, uh, we are going to be taking up, um, you know, the, the infrastructure modernization bill. Um, and that will also include some of these long-term investments uh, in, in our education uh, system. Uh, you're a U.S. Senator for the entire state of Maryland. When you have that job, uh, how do you make sure that you're looking out for the whole state and you're not just in sort of a Montgomery County echo chamber, or you're not in some Baltimore uh, echo chamber that you've really got the whole state in mind. How do you, how do you keep yourself honest and focused about that? Well, I, I do work hard to represent every single you know, person, whether or not they voted for me or regardless of their you know, political affiliation. And I've you know, made an effort over the years to, to get to every single, you know, part and corner of our, our state. Obviously, uh, during the pandemic, I've been doing that more virtually. Uh, but just to give you an idea, um, you know, just earlier today, uh, I convened a meeting on the issue of uh, high-speed internet broadband, uh, which is something that's uh, needed in, you know, from Baltimore City to Prince George's County, and Montgomery County, to rural areas. And we had represented on that call uh, the superintendent of Baltimore City Schools, uh, the superintendent of Talbot County Schools and uh, the superintendent of Allegheny County Schools. So from Western Maryland, the Eastern Shore to Baltimore and from Prince George's County, their chief uh, technology officer for their, their schools and someone from the Maryland Teachers Association. So uh, look, we, we have to make sure that we address the needs of every, every community within our state. Um, and I look forward once the pandemic's over to getting back out and, out and about. But in the meantime, um, have been connecting this way, the way we're talking now. You've been uh, connecting all over the state. Uh, anything you want to say to Maryland's uh, hospital workers, first responders, people that are really in the thick of this coronavirus experience and trying to find a way out? Also grateful for what you're doing. I uh, wonder if you have any thoughts or words for those people on the front lines. I sure do. But, but first, um, that, the call I just mentioned we had on, on broadband also included the acting chair of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, because we just succeeded in getting $7 billion uh, in what we call the E-rate fund 
to better connect our, our students virtually with, with, with schools so that they can learn um, during the pandemic and, and you know whether it's hybrid or full-time home. So one of my goals and jobs is to make sure we connect Marylanders with those folks at the federal level, like the FCC when it comes to broadband, to make sure that uh, we can access uh, those resources. And we've been yeah, let's say, let's stay on the broadband because that I mean that is an issue that everybody can connect with, and everybody thought they had their Wi-Fi or their phone situation covered until this coronavirus experience hit, and you got parents sharing devices with kids, and you got parents realizing they might not have the interconnect connection they thought they did. And these are parents that are in you know Southwest Baltimore City, but as you said, they're also out in Western Maryland. Is an issue that really cuts across for all of us. That's some pretty big numbers you're bringing to the equation there. And the FCC chairman, let me, let me give you a little more time to talk about that. Well, you're right. Look, I mean, my view is that um, being able to connect to broadband, high-speed internet uh, really is to, you know, the year 2021, what connecting all Americans to electricity was uh, in the, in the last century. It's become essential, whether you're a student, now trying to connect to the classroom or a small business uh, person uh, who can use the internet, you know, to, to now sell around the world. Um, it is really uh, an, a necessity. And we've been, we've been taking uh, big bites out of this during, over the last year in terms of connecting more people. But as part of the next big bill, um, the, the better part of Build Back Better, uh, we hope to really lay the groundwork to finish, finish the job. And I, I do want to, you know, you asked about all the folks uh, on, the, on the front lines. Uh, and um, one of the things we have tried to do over the last year through the federal support is to, is to make sure that they get the help and resources they need, um, whether they're emergency responders, um, nurses, doctors, others at hospitals. They have been at the front lines. They have put themselves at risk. And uh, we want to make sure that we supported them. And, and, and that's what we've done in all of these, um, the bills that we've passed. You know, one of the reasons that this piece of legislation was able to get done is that there was a unanimity amongst the Democratic senators, which doesn't mean much in, unless you have a, a unanimity that equals uh, 50 uh, plus one votes. You were at the center of that for the last six years doing that job. I mean, the more I talk to you, the more you remind me of Lyndon Johnson. His big achievement, as he would tell you, was getting electricity to the regular working people of Texas. But he also led the committee that was in charge of getting more Democratic senators into his caucus that he would eventually lead. I'm just wondering what it's like for somebody who's been out there on the campaign trail for so long, trying to help people get elected in swing states all over the country uh, to look at this vote. You got to feel you got to feel pretty special about your contribution, not just as one senator, but somebody organizing a, a bunch of votes for this thing. Well, Damien, um, you know, and you know this because uh, you, you know, you've worked in politics, but politics is a, a, a means to an end. Uh, the end is the ability to be able to pass things like the American Rescue Plan. Uh, but if you don't get the politics right, if you don't have the, the, the majority uh, to enact the American Rescue Plan, you might as well go home. Um, and so that is why it was so important that we uh, elected, uh, especially recently, these two new senators from the state of Georgia, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, 
they gave us the thinnest of majorities in the Senate, 50 to 50, uh, with Vice President Harris casting the deciding vote. And she had to exercise that vote uh, to move forward on the American Rescue Plan. Uh, I wish we'd had uh, Republicans uh, supporting this plan, partnering with us um, as, as Joe Biden had wanted. Uh, but the more important thing was to get it done. I mean, we're in the middle of an emergency. We got to get the economy going. This is overwhelmingly popular with the American people. I mean, Democrats, independents, even majority Republicans around the country recognized that we needed to, to take this uh, measure. And I, I think some some Republicans are going to begin to regret that they weren't you know, part of the solution here. But uh, the most important thing for the country is that we got it done. But you're right. If you don't have the votes, yeah, you can't um, pass things that you need to do. And I'm, I did chair the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee my first year in the Senate and um, continue to stay very involved in this. Uh, so uh, a lot of political battles still to go. But the, the goal of the politics is to be in a position to do good things for the state of Maryland and the country. Well, you know, like uh, I saw, uh, saw our governor in Maryland uh, advertising for Susan Collins up in Maine and, you know, advertising for, quote, moderate uh, voices all over the country. But when they get in the U.S. Senate, they don't vote moderate. They had a chance right here. None of those votes that everybody says, oh, well, they're, they're a moderate Republican. They'll be OK. They'll go with you. That on these big federal votes that are to rescue America, nowhere to be seen. Well, that's unfortunately very true. Um, we didn't get a single Republican vote. And when, you know, President Biden invited, um, you know, Republican senators down to the White House, um, th they came. But when he asked them for their proposal, um, it was it was it was peanuts. I mean, it was nothing given the challenges and needs that we we face. Um, and so at the end of the day, we had to had to do it alone in both the House and the Senate. Damien, I remember back uh, when we had the financial meltdown in, in 2008 um, and the country was really hurting. I was in the House at the time. We passed the American Recovery Bill with President Obama um, and not a single Republican voted for that in the House. Um, even though it got whittled way down uh, in the Senate. Susan Collins actually negotiated it way down. Uh, then we didn't get a single Republican in the House. And then for years, Republicans complained that while we were recovering, um, the recovery was too slow. Well, uh, this time we wanted to make sure that we went big um, and whether we had Republicans with us or, or not. But uh, there, there you have it. As you said, we didn't, we didn't get any help this time around. Switching gears on you a little bit, I've been hearing in the healthcare community, you know, uh, in Maryland, we're all so grateful for this waiver that allows us to do, you know, Vanguard things in Maryland and really do a nice job on cost containment. We have the, uh, a really unique model. But because that thing is so sacred, some of the reforms that are needed to it, um, for example, Medicare Advantage. Uh, which could help a lot of seniors out in Maryland. It's not quite optimized under that waiver. You know, you can't you can't get the case management, the dentistry, uh, things like that that other Medicare Advantage recipients in other states may have uh, because they don't have that interesting model. You see any any reform on the horizon for that sort of thing, or any stomach for that uh, discussion going forward? 
Well, you're right. We do have in Maryland a, a unique um, arrangement and system, which has benefited the state greatly. We have a, a, a all-payer hospital system, and then we've got what's called the Medi Medicare waiver uh, from the federal government. Um, and when I mean unique, we are the only one of the 50 states that has this uh, system, and it served us well. But we do need to make um, seek some uh, flexibility uh, and adjustments and Senator Cardin and I and other members of the delegation are are doing that just to make sure that you know people can have the choice as to whether they participate in Medicare Advantage uh, plans or uh, other uh, kinds of Medicare uh, plans and so we will be seeking we are seeking um, some greater flexibility in that area uh, from the federal government. Uh, talking about public safety real quickly uh, in Baltimore, uh, it has been a problem since you have been in elected office. You have heard about uh, criminal justice issues in Baltimore. Our governor takes a, a, a sort of a hands off approach uh, to that. Do you think that's uh, you think that's wise? You have any different ideas about getting sort of full engagement from Maryland's representative and governance class taking a look at, at what's going on in Baltimore and the crime scenario? Yes. Uh, look, I think um, the state, and you're seeing the state legislature really begin to take some uh, important steps. Uh, I do think that the governor, the legislature, everybody uh, needs to be involved uh, in addressing uh, public safety measures. That means making sure that uh, the city has it, the resources it needs, that the commissioner has the support that he needs um, at the federal level. Uh, we have been uh, working uh, with the uh, U.S. Attorney for Baltimore and uh, Baltimore's mayor, uh, Brandon Scott, uh, has also you know, been working very hard to uh, try to address these important issues, including uh, keeping a, a lot of the illegal guns coming from out of state into the city. Now, if you look at the statistics, you know, more than half of the guns used in crimes um, in Baltimore City come from out of state. Um, so, you know, Maryland has some pretty good gun safety laws, but we're not an island. <laughs> so that's why at the federal level, uh, we're working hard to pass the, the universal background checks bill. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, this is about, you know, making sure that dangerous people um, don't get their hands on, on guns. We need to plug the gun show loophole nationally as we did in Maryland, because if you have, a, you know, if again, you can come right across the borders. Uh, and so we're also working with ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, and the mayor um, is working on that effort. So look, there, there's no single solution uh, here. Um, we need to make sure that we have, you know, good investment uh, in parts of Baltimore City that have been hardest hit and left behind. Um, and then we need to make sure that uh, we have uh, uh, you know, a strong public safety system. I'm also, and I, I, I should say, we, we've seen um, across the country many examples where you have in encounters between police and in many cases, people with some mental health issues that have, have escalated um, in a way that has really resulted in uh, tragedy. Um, and uh, I've introduced legislation uh, at the federal level to create where appropriate um, alternative responses to 911 where use of force is, is not needed um, or, or, or justified where you'd have other kind of responses uh, to say a mental health situation. 
Um, but we, we, this is a big issue. We've got to tackle public safety um, and make sure that you know people in Baltimore City and every part of our state um, can be confident in their own safety. Yeah, I think if people take a look at the statewide crime numbers, they might realize it's not just a problem that's endemic to Baltimore, that, that a lot of Marylanders are facing it. Uh, you are, uh, like I said, you I've seen you in this, uh, in this space since 1997. You've served with some of the greats, whether it's uh, Steny Hoyer, uh, one of your, your housemates and leaders, or when you were in the uh, state Senate uh, serving under Senate President Mike Miller. Uh, and then even your, uh, he probably won't like the word replacement, but your successor uh, in your house seat, uh, Jamie Raskin, has, uh, has done some incredibly brave things uh, this year and throughout his career. And I just wonder if, uh, if people outside of Maryland, uh, what their view of the federal delegate, to me, it's just like, it's this pantheon of Hall of Famers and all-stars that get to serve the state of Maryland. I'm sure there's a similar dynamic in other states, but it's it's remarkable to see these people lead at so many different levels and at such critical times. I just didn't know if you might have a comment to add there. Well, Damien, I do think we have a, a strong team. Uh, and you you mentioned, um, you know, some of the folks that uh, have been really involved uh, both during this emergency and before. Um, Jamie Raskin, of course, um, you know, he, he just really, uh, you know, met the moment uh, when it came to the impeachment uh, trial. Uh, I think we're disappointed for the country that uh, President Trump wasn't convicted because, my God, um, if it's not an impeachable offense uh, to, uh, you know, instigate a violent mob to attack the Capitol for the purpose of overturning (laughs) An election, I don't know what is, but right on. Uh, Jamie, under very difficult personal circumstances, uh, as you know, he lost his son Tommy. Um, really did, uh, you know, make the country proud in the sense of adherence to the Constitution, and then working with, um, you know, both, you know, Ben Cardin and Sandy Hoyer and our whole whole delegation. Um, of course, we we lost a, one of our our greatest Americans, Elijah Cummings. Um, who was just such an um, important force for good. Uh, so Maryland really has um, uh, stepped up, uh, I think, and hopefully we will continue that, uh, that, that tradition. Well, Senator, I'm so grateful you're able to join us today. I want you to get back to work for the people of Mar- Maryland. Thank you for sharing this with us this time. And I hope, uh, I hope Reverend Al Hathaway and I can have you up for a uh, a non-alcoholic toast to uh, Congressman Cummings in front of this beautiful mural that they have put up uh, in West Baltimore. Uh, Welcome you to that. And uh, just can't thank you enough for all your public service over the decades. Well, it is a beautiful mural and and thank you for this. Look forward to joining with you and and Reverend Hathaway. And look, um, I am confident we're going to beat this uh, pandemic, but you know, you were mentioning the question of leadership at the state level. And I have been disappointed uh, that, that Maryland for, for weeks and weeks and weeks um, really lagged behind the country when it came to distributing the vaccine uh, and getting that shot into people's arms uh, and had a very inequitable distribution as well. I mean, the CDC, which ranks these by the day, had Maryland really dead last um, for a while. And then we were in the 
back 10 out of 50 for weeks, uh, which was uh, really a disappointment given, given the healthcare capacity we have in the state. So um, Senator Cardin and I and the others asked for a course correction weeks and weeks ago. Um, you know, I, we could have done a lot better. I'm glad we're finally seem to be climbing out of it. But, but a lot of that is the Biden administration uh, finally getting serious about this. So um, I hope everybody will stay safe. We'll get through this together, Damien, and uh, looking forward to that drink. You got you got to feel like one of our uh, our uh, frontline uh, gro- uh, people in the grocery because you and Senator Cardin and the delegation have brought whether it's vaccine uh, support or federal money tax credits all that stuff you're bringing to the front of the store and uh, you can't get it through the checkout and so uh, we got we got a governor that's kind of you know, not checking these things out. It's very frustrating. Yeah, uh, no, the bottle, the, the bottlenecks in the Maryland system were really um, inexcusable, lack of transparency. But I think things are are finally getting back on track. I mean, the Biden administration is now channeling some of the vaccine directly to community health centers. But in any event, um, we'll, we'll get through this. But thank you for um, for having me and look forward to look forward to catching up in person. Thanks so much, Senator. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you.